This is Pause for Thought, a podcast brought to you by Animal Therapies Limited. Northern Territory resident Rashida Khan wears many hats. Animal nutritionist, horse, cattle and miniature mule breeder, equine assisted therapist and corporate and personal coach, not to mention full-time carer for her 82-year-old father. There's not much downtime juggling four businesses from her base at Red Rock Stud in the top end, but she wouldn't have it any other way. We caught up with Rashida by Zoom, just outside of Catherine, 300 kilometres from home, and one of the many regions she visits as part of her mobile equine therapy business. Rashida, welcome to Pause for Thought today. Thank you for having me. So you run a property in Australia's top end um, of the Northern Territory, about 100 kilometres south of, of Darwin. Before we discuss that in any detail, can you give me a short life history of your own journey before establishing the stud? Yeah, for sure. So um, I grew up in a fencing camp. Uh, my parents were contractors. And then my my dad started on a cattle property. He, he'd worked in the industry for years and years as a drover and all sorts. So he got a job managing a cattle station, which allowed me to access my love of horses and join the contract mustering plant and all of that. And so I worked in the ag industry um, in the north of Australia, mustering, fencing, being, you know, all everything and met my partner. And then we went away and started managing another property and I started training horses. And so then I started a bit of a business training horses and coaching riders. Then I got interested in breeding horses, breeding mules. So we started the stud. Um, Yeah. Then I got interested in helping other people with their horses, horsemanship and that kind of stuff. Then I worked in Canada and that was what introduced me to, I was a horse trainer and coach in Canada. And then I started working with some disadvantaged children and that got me interested in equine therapy. So by the time I came home from Canada, I was like, that's the job I want. And um, no one was doing it. So I thought, all right, well, I'll start. And that's how my second business was born or third business, I should say, because yeah, the stud, the body work, the equine therapy and um, down the track now business coaching as well. So yeah, I should buy shares in a fuel company though, because everything I do is very spread out across the top end. So I spend a lot of time on the road. Well, you also must have incredible time management skills to juggle all that. I mean, that's extraordinary. And you've certainly, you've packed in a lot in your life um, and obviously picked up some extraordinary skills along the way. Just for our listeners' benefit, can you just paint a picture of the landscape um, up there and, you know, just also a typical day? Um, I don't know if there's such thing as a typical day, but um, I'll I'll give you a a rough typical week. So (laughs) Mondays are my admin and prep days. So that's when I actually fix all the socials for the week, schedule postings, organize clients, catch up on any business admin across my businesses, my partner's business, um, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm basically stuck in the office. Then Tuesdays, I partner with a psychology clinic in Darwin. So that's 120K community to work and I actually we do equine assisted therapy so I load the team into a vehicle and we pull on a full day at the office Um, we have a space at the back of the office where we deliver that service so they have a 300 kilometer commute so all of my animals travel beautifully Um, so that's Tuesdays Wednesdays are I like to call that my farming day so that's when I'll get it get back down to property number two check all the stock you know anything that needs doing Thursdays I 
train horses, coach riders. I'm also a carer for my old man who's 82. Bless him. He's had a stroke. And then Fridays, I work in my own practice back in Koolalinga, which is about 100 k's from home. So that's not too bad. Um, I see clients all day. And then the weekends, I process cattle and do whatever I need to do with my partner's business and drive miles and miles delivering fencing gear for him or taking horses to events or just, yeah, whatever needs doing. So yeah, a lot of miles, but it depends on the season. So the wet season for half the year up here, we have pouring rain, everything's flooded. So I tend to work locally just around Darwin, but the dry season, so from like April through to October, um, that's when we can actually engage with remote work. So I will then work between Darwin and Catherine. So Catherine is about 300 k's south. And then from there, we service regional communities as needed. So we'll go right across as far as Kananara. Um, Yeah. Well, it sounds like you don't have much downtime, but maybe that's the way you like it. Well, I do. I don't believe in having a job that, you know, it's Monday. I I just, I I can't get into that mindset. Um, My theory is, is that I am always doing something that I absolutely love and that I'm interested in. So I don't. Well, I have a lot of driving miles and a lot of thinking time um, and, a, and a fair bit of music in that time. Um, but also, you know, I, I absolutely love what I do. So it's it's always interesting. And I find whether I'm treating horses or doing body work or, you know, training, that, that fills my cup. So I'm not kind of going to work with, right, I've got to do this. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete lifestyle. Now, you're, um, you're a qualified equine-assisted psychotherapist and you run youth and adult programs on the start as well as a travelling service. So who, who are your typical clients and how far do you go across the Northern Territory? Because it's a vast, it's a vast area. So for youth clients, the main ones we see are young children um, on the spectrum or, you know, ADHD, ASD, um, behaviour management kind of stuff. Um, I've, I've worked with kids with sensory difficulties. I've even had a lovely young man who was absolutely terrified of animals. And um, through a full block of therapy, he got not only over his fear, but also gained all sorts of independence in other areas of his life, which was lovely. I then, uh, so teenagers, a lot of disengaged youth, um, a lot of trauma cases. So our team has worked in the prison, so the youth prison, and and the programs we ran there were um, mostly EAL, equine assisted learning. So that was using horses' abilities to show young offenders you know, how body language can change the way people perceive you and to learn how to handle something with respect and, yeah, and and to learn correct communication skills. So those are sort of the younger people. And then um, my adult clients can be anything from complex PTSD, uh, trauma, suicide prevention, whatever, whatever, whatever presents. (laughs) And how do you measure your success? Do most people stay with you for um, X number of sessions? I mean, how do you know when to stop offering the service, if you like, or to say, okay, our work is done with this client? Um, The psychotherapy sessions are run in 10-week blocks. At the end of the 10 weeks, we have a case management meeting with the other service providers, medical professionals that are engaged with that client, and we then measure where we've got to with that client. We also include the client in that conversation of saying, how do you feel? What do you want to do next? What services do you feel are working for you? Um, I've had some clients on the book for years. I mean, a lifetime of trauma can't be erased in 10 sessions. And so, you know, some of 
these people, they say, you know, this is really helping me and I don't want to stop because the more I, the more I do, the more it is coming out for me and the more that I'm learning about myself and I don't want to stop this journey. Um, other clients, you know, we might achieve the goals that they, they set out with their first set few sessions. So our first session is always goal setting from the client's perspective. Um, everything I do is client led. I'm just facilitating other people's journeys. I'm not taking them to a set destination. So the client always identifies their goal. We then check in with them. How do you feel you're getting along? Some, like in the case of the young man who got over his fear of animals, it was time for him to go and try some different modalities and, you know, move on and see what else he wanted to do. So, yeah, people will make their own decision based on when they uh, think they've, they've got the most value. For the EAL programs, prison programs, government-funded programs, we're generally stuck in blocks. So, you know, we're funding you for six weeks or, you know, see what you can do in, you know, X amount of sessions. Some of those clients, you, you, your heart bleeds for them because you think, gosh, they need so much more help. And um, other clients, you know, they, they take it as a short course and run. But everything is very client-led. Um, and I do check in with the clients regularly to see where they're at, how they feel they're traveling, what else they want to try. Um, and, and also, how can we refer them to the correct services? You know, if they're not connecting in that moment, well, then who can help them? And why are horses such a, an effective therapeutic tool for humans? Because they're very authentic. So, I mean, we, we have a lot of lovely stories and Hollywood's told us a great deal of <laughs> joyous stories about horses. But I think sometimes one of the most powerful things about horses is they don't care. So they react to you exactly how you are on the day, right in this moment. And so they read your body language, they read where you're at, and they force you to be in the present. Um, I've never owned a horse that has worried about tomorrow, and I've never owned a horse that's like, oh, gosh, we've got a big show coming up. Oh, I'm quaking in my boots. The horse just goes, I don't know why you're acting like a weirdo. It's Saturday morning, and, oh, we're getting in the truck and going to see all of those people. Oh, that'll be it. <laughs> so, so from a therapeutic perspective, where the client may have conflict with another human saying your behaviour is doing this, it's very hard to pick that fight with a horse. So, you know, to come out and say, well, you know, so for some of my prison um, inmates um, that have very aggressive tendencies and I say to them, you know, when you approach people with this behaviour, this is, this is the response you get. You know, people are instantly on the defensive and it's, well, you know, how dare you say that? But then they walk up to a horse and they go to put their hand on it and the horse shies away and says, oh, I don't like that. And then I say to the boys, well, how are you going to pat her? What are you going to do? Like, she's, she doesn't like that. Fix it fix yourself and see what she does. And so then they'll try a different behaviour and the horse will walk straight up to them. And it's like, oh, it's a big visual. So horses kind of take the argument out of it. Um, they also, like my, my team have a great deal of training. So, you know, I know that if, even if a client makes a mistake and um, doesn't understand horsemanship or anything like that, my, my team are quite safe. Like they'll, they'll go, okay, this person doesn't know that you can't just pick up a back foot because you wondered... <laughs> what was underneath that. Um, so they will, you know, help. But at the same time, I match up my equine team for the purpose. So if I have a client that needs to work on setting boundaries, I might use one of my mares that is a little pushy and, you know, she'll lean into you and rub her head on you and it comes across as really cute. But for the client, they have to figure out how do I tell her, please stop doing that, you know, find my voice to say no. But so, how do you know when a horse 
say a horse is acting up with you, how do you know for sure that it's they're not just having a bad day and it's about their own issues, not yours? So I'm going to say um, years and years and years and many, many, many experiences with horses. Um, so I started out training wild court horses, horses we'd catch. I've bred horses. I've trained high-performance horses. There are a great deal of body language cues and equine behaviours that are pretty standard. Um, the training we put on the equine therapy team and the temperaments that we choose, I can fairly rule out most kind of behaviours um, like a young unhandled horse that might be nipping and playful. I would not bring that to a therapy session with someone who has trauma because I would know that that horse was like, oh, I can push the person around and this is fun and every time I nip them they jump away you know, that might be playful and fun, but that's a training thing. Whereas if I have a horse that has worked with trauma people who has a really nice, even temperament and is really like almost a beginner horse and they nip the person, I now know that that is an out of character response. So now I'm going to say, well, what's triggered that? What were you feeling? What was happening before that happened? And then I would unpack that with the client. So I know my equine team inside out. Um, I've bred a lot of them. Some of them I've rescued and, and they've had the right temperament and been able to handle it. In saying that, as the equine specialist, I'm also their guardian. So I have had some of the equine team not cope and leave. I had a filly untie herself from the fence and trot back to the truck and load up at the start of a session in the prison and would not come out of the truck. <laughs> She just went, I don't like these people's energy and I don't really like doing this and I'm going home. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You mentioned before that you had a client who was absolutely terrified of animals and, you know, there are a lot of people that are terrified of horses because of their size or or the fact that they've never had anything to do with them. What would your advice be for somebody in that situation who perhaps is quite interested in equine-assisted therapy for themselves or their child but, they've, you know, they've got these fears or these concerns? I think talking to the practitioners to start with and understanding how the modality works. So there's a lot of different modalities, uh, well, types of equine therapy. For the case of my clients, we were able to set up a very safe environment. So the horses were not, well, first of all, we started with using miniatures. Um, I didn't bring in, you know, a big X race horse or something. I also made sure that the first animal that he was exposed to was a, not a friendly animal. Now, I know this sounds really silly, but if you think about dogs that run up and lick you and jump on you and, oh, my goodness, the people are here, that's terrifying for somebody who doesn't understand body language in animals. So I actually chose a little gelding who, you know, yeah, he'll if you want something from him, you can do whatever you want, but he's not going to come over to you. He's just going to stand there unbothered and just, yep, no worries. So he was actually tied up. So I tied him to a post and the client was able to then engage with other activities with just the horse there peripherally kind of there. But he didn't have to engage. And for the most part, the first few sessions, we completely ignored the horse. We did other therapeutic activities with the horse present and with a support team for this young man. It took him a long time to realise that he was actually safe. And once he realised he was safe, then curiosity came to the front. And still I kept him with an animal that if he chose to touch it, it probably wouldn't react. 
It wouldn't put its nose on him or, oh, lean in for a scratch. It would just go, oh, yeah, somebody's patting me, no worries, whatever. And so that built the confidence for the client. And so I often say to people, if you're worried, because I do, I get uh, parents come and say, oh, I'd love the kids to try this, but, oh, what if they, what if they get their foot stepped on? And I'd say to them, you know, a lot of time and training has gone into this. Um, if you think about it, we would never let a blind person out with an untrained guide dog. <laughs> so it's a very, these these animals have a job and they have been trained for that job. And, and really communicate with the human practitioners. Let them know your fears. Find out about the program. Um, if the animals are all loose in an arena, able to do what they want, that's probably not the best introduction for somebody who is afraid. So make it really controllable in little doses. You know, the horse is tied here. He can only reach this far. You can stand here. You don't have to go in and touch the animal. I see that a lot at um, events. You know, you'll see a keen parent, pat the pony, pat the pony, and the child's just about having a heart attack. <laughs> and so we we kind of make it, it's not a big deal. Are you the only service offering equine-assisted therapy in the Northern Territory or the only one doing a mobile service? Only one doing a mobile service. I started the first service, so I brought the idea to the Territory. There have been other people kind of ride onto that idea, but they don't offer the same sort of therapy. So I, this is something I struggle with in the industry as a whole, and that is people who think I've got a quiet horse in the backyard, I'm going to offer therapy to damaged people. You're not doing anyone any favours. That's kind of like saying I own a Labrador, I'm going to find a blind person to help. My dog hasn't had all the necessary training. I don't really know what I'm doing, but at least we're both keen. It's not... <laughs> It's not a very safe way of going about it. Uh, you've been doing this quite a long time now. I mean, have you noticed a shift in acceptance in both sort of government and community and even health services towards equine-assisted therapy? I think it's becoming a little more mainstream. With our social media campaigns and things like that, people are starting to understand that this is not... It's, it's not a crazy idea and we're not just taking people out and standing them in the paddock and going, I love horses and they make me feel good, so you should too. Um, now that people understand that there are, you know, there are trauma-informed models, there are, you know, we're, we're not just horsey girls who want to share it with the world. We're actually trained professionals in mental health. We're trained professionals in the equine industry and we understand, you know, the, the body language and the way that animals need to be handled in order to keep everybody safe. Also, I like to explain to people too that a lot of horses that are really good at therapy are not are not particularly good at other things. The temperament that's needed and the, you know, the mindset that's needed for a therapy horse to accept people who have never handled an animal before, who might not be behaving in their best self, that's that's not the role of, say, you know, a high-performance horse. You couldn't just go and grab one of the, you know, Australian Olympic team, warm bloods, and go, right, come on. You've got a gold medal. Let's go help somebody. And, and you know, we see that in racing, for example. It might take three people to lead that horse down the road, but he's a gun. You know, he's just won the Melbourne Cup. So it's it's about understanding, I guess, there's a lot of background. And I think people are now starting to see, particularly government and that, that it is, you know, we have research papers now that back us up. We've got a lot of data. We're not just... We're not just people that had a great idea out in the paddock. This is this is a well-researched, um, evidence-based model. So that's been really good. There is a lot of resistance still. You still get people who don't understand and how is patting a pony going to help me? All I can say is you have to experience some things to know what you don't know. 
Well, look, Rashida, you're doing some fantastic work up there. For people who want to know more about your services, um, where can they find you? So we have a website, equinemagicinternational.com, which has a list of all of the services and you can read up about the team and um, some of the stuff we do. Um, We have a Facebook page, um, which is Equine Magic International and uh, Animal Assisted Therapies page. We're in the directory. So, yeah, um, or you can just, um, if you find me on social media, yeah, (laughs) I'm always happy to chat too. Well, it's been great um, having you as a guest today on Pause for Thought. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.